and welcome to the Gallery of Curiosities. As always, I am your humble host, Osgood. Please do pardon me, but I am rather vexed at the moment. I'm having some work done on the roof to repair the damage from these recent storms. This prodigious rainfall has been wreaking havoc on my more delicate collections, resulting in mildew and mold on my mummies. Look here. This poor soul was directly under the worst of the leaks. It's quite ruined. The gentleman whom I acquired her from on the dark web assured me that it was completely authentic. Sobek Neferu, the first female pharaoh, priceless beyond measure. And as far as the rest of the world knows, completely undiscovered. Sometimes I wish I had the means to move my collections to a drier climate, beautiful Death Valley, or Drowned Horse, a delightful little hamlet which Mr. David Boop told me about. Mr. Boop is a Denver-based speculative fiction author. His first novel, the science fiction noir, She Murdered Me With Science, has been re-released after a hiatus. His short story work includes media tie-ins for Predator, The Green Hornet, and Veronica Mars. And he edited the best-selling anthology Straight Outer Tombstone for Bane. The story he will be reading for you this evening is part of his Drowned Horse Chronicle more of which can be found at facebook.com slash drowndhorse. Let us pour ourselves a few fingers of whiskey and settle in. I need something to distract me from my losses. Where Justice Ends, Vengeance Begins by David Boop Read by the author. Arizona Territory, 1866. In that moment, Levi Forrest, duly elected sheriff of Drowned Horse, hated his position. Not for the first time, mind you, and not just because of the shotgun pointed at his head. Well, truth be told, it was mostly that. I've come for the girls, said, he exclaimed. You got no right to her. The man holding the gun, Cedric Novodovich, was obviously of a different opinion. Oh, done bought her fair and square. The pastor married us and everything, Sheriff. Forrest regretted letting the situation get out of control. When word broke that Ced bought himself an Apache girl, he thought it just a nasty rumor at first. But then he pictured the trapper. One large, weather-beaten, ugly son of a bitch who the whores at the sagebrush charged extra for, and it struck him as plausible. You held him at gunpoint. Not sure God considers that a legally binding agreement. Besides, slavery's illegal now. Haven't you heard of the 13th Amendment? Seth's cabin was part home, part workshop. Several of the mountain man's recent catches hung in various states of drying, tanning, or just plain old rotting. 
A repugnant smell wafted through the air. Said there on the porch, smelled no better. I didn't bond no slave. This is one of those, what do you call it, uh, arranged marriages, yeah. I gave those reds a dowry, three of my best bearskins. You know what them are worth? That was a good deal for the Indians, and it explains some of Sed's reluctance to part with his teenage bride. She wasn't theirs to sell. She's Apache, and they're Yavapai. They found her wandering around, and now word's gotten out. To keep the peace, she's got to go back to her people. The army only just moved the Apaches out of here a few years ago. We don't want them coming back with a war party. The girl in question appeared in the window, raising her head slowly until her eyes were visible. He placed her age at 12 or 13, but she hadn't been crying or anything yet. Forrest wondered if she understood what was in store for her that night. The sheriff pleaded, Now come on, said, this isn't going to end nice for anyone. Certainly it will do that girl no good to see two grown men shoot each other. You could help us all out by lowering your gun. It looked like the trapper set to comply, dropping the barrel several inches to the right, but then his finger twitched and he blew a hole in the dirt near Forrest's feet. The sheriff jumped back, his gravel shot up and pelted his boots. That move gave him the right to return fire, but Sed's gun reacquired its original target quicker than Forrest's eye could track. Now get off my land, it's my wedding night. Sed, that's only got two shots. Forrest's implication didn't leave room for debate. And I'll make sure you go first. Ain't kidding here, Sheriff. Don't come back lest it's to bring us a wedding gift. The double barrel wasn't Sed's only gun. The trapper had enough weaponry to take down a herd of buffalo. Deciding to cut his losses, Forrest mounted up. This isn't the end of it, Sed. The new marshal just arrived at Fort Whipple, and I can have him back here tonight. He's got jurisdiction over Indian stuff, and maybe you'll listen to him. Doubtful. Forrest spat on the ground. If those Apaches return and she's been harmed in any way, well, let's just say scalping will seem like a mercy. Cedric snarled, the feral dog in him coming out. Y'all will find trouble here. You, the Marshal, the Reds. Look after your own and leave me the hell out of it. The lawman didn't need to turn around to know the shotgun stayed on him until he rode out of range. Bringing the newly assigned marshal into this type of mess might be a good thing for us consider. He could break the unsuspecting lawman in gently before any real trouble started. It just so happened at that very same moment, Marshal Tucker Bandemir, recent of the Arizona Territory seat, hated his position for what would be the first of many times. And not just because outlaws had lit his house on fire while he was having lunch over at the fort. Though truth be told, it was mostly the fire. The words written in the dirt that read, Go home, Marshal, didn't help none. That evening, while staring at the smoking remains and wondering why he'd signed on to the Marshal's service, a short man wearing a sheriff's badge walked up to Tucker. The stranger stood reverently, observing the last ember's glow. That's the Marshal's home, right? Tucker nodded. Marshal wasn't in there this time, was he? Tucker pulled back his duster, revealing a star. Good. Let's go stop another Indian war. A sudden storm swept over Mingus Mountain, delaying the lawman's trip back to the Davidovich place. 
As Forrest sat in a cave, sharing his can of beans from his pack, he surveyed their sanctuary. Even in the poor firelight, Forrest could see thin copper veins. It wouldn't be long until a mine opened up in the area and Drowned Horse became a boomtown again. Wanting to distract himself from those bad thoughts, Forrest surreptitiously turned his gaze to Tucker. A string bean of a man with an extended handlebar mustache, their discussions on the ride over had revealed that Tucker was greener than a bullfrog sack when it came to being a lawman. Not so much regarding combat. The marshal served in the Colorado Cavalry honorably and had played a part in a couple of General Kit Carson's campaigns. What the young man really lacked was subtlety. Maybe I should have handled this on my own, Forrest thought. At first light, they approached Cedric's cabin. Forrest envisioned finding a crying girl out on the front porch, having no idea why the man did what he did to her last night. If she'd been deflowered, the Apaches might kill her, as wont to happen, or they might keep her to see if the offspring was male, another warrior for the tribe. Certainly, they'd ask for restitution and a piece of Cedric's hide, or possibly money. That was the problem with Indians. If you met one, you've only met one. You couldn't tell what any of them thought. The early morning air felt different as they approached the cabin, an unnaturalness. For one thing, no light shone through the windows. Said must have blackened them so no one could look in. The sheriff drew both his guns while the marshal retrieved his rifle to cover him. Said, I got Marshal Tucker here. He just wants to talk with you. Seems he thinks we can come to some sort of mutually beneficial arrangement to keep the peace. What do you think, Said? Nothing. Not a rustle of clothing, scraping of furniture, or whimpering of a child. In fact, other than the horses swatting flies, the whole area was silent. Said, I'm going to come up to the door. Don't do anything stupid now, you hear? Forrest moved to the porch, placing a foot on the bottom step. But then a rancid smell made him stumble backwards. Not the same smell from yesterday. Something worse. What? Tucker asked. Something's dead, and it's cooking in the morning heat. Tucker quick-stepped up to the porch. There's blood coming out from under the door. Forrest looked at the windows again. Close up, he could see shades of crimson. They hadn't been blackened, but bloodied. Kicking the door open, Tucker immediately leapt back to Forrest's side as if repelled. The smell of rotten meat and burnt blood assaulted their nostrils. Flies escaped by the dozens, and, through watery eyes, Forrest could see maggots crawling on chunks of meat strewn about the cabin floor. There was nothing solid left, nothing that could be identified as once man or girl. Only by wrapping a bandana around his nose and mouth did Forrest actually make it up to the doorway again. Sed's pants were on the floor, no body parts evident inside. Along the back wall of the cabin, however, his shirt stuck to the wall with blood, as if plastered there. The skeletal outline of hands, head, and lower body extended from the shirt, as if it were a scarecrow meant to scare the angels and not the birds. "'God damn,' Tucker said, peering over Forrest's shoulder. "'In a sign of the girl?' "'Nope,' Tucker shook his head pityingly. "'Well, it probably took her, poor thing.' Forrest raised an eyebrow. They who? Well, Apaches, of course. They tracked the girl and made a message of your Cedric here. Forrest moved back down the steps and pulled off the bandana. He spat the taste of bile from his mouth. Calvary didn't tell you much about this territory, did they? Tucker shook his head. 
You got a lot to learn about Drowned Horse. They mounted up. You know all those scary stories your pa told you around campfires? Boogeymen, ancient evils, and monsters under your bed? Yeah. Forrest leaned forward conspiratorially. Drowned Horse is where all those bad things call home. To Tucker, Sheriff Forrest's office looked like a hundred others. The town itself looked no different than the towns he rode through as he mapped out his assignment. Shortly after receiving the badge, his superiors told him Arizona Territory would be his. They told him he would be a rough assignment with outlaws and Indian wars. They told him he shouldn't marry as he'd just be leaving a widow before long. They had not told him about curses and demons. Forrest boots kicked up on his desk, leaned back in his chair, taking everything in stride, while the new marshal sat dumbfounded across from him. A demon. Some sort, yeah. Tucker rolled his hand in deference. And it has this little girl. Probably, Forrest shrugged. Or maybe not. Mata swallowed her whole. There are other possibilities, too. You know, I'm having a hard time with all this. You could just be crazy from the heat. Forrest grinned in a way that made Tucker uneasy. The sheriff reached down into the drawer, and Tucker found his own hand sliding to his iron. But then Forrest tossed an item on the desktop with a resounding thunk. A tooth. Definitely not human. Certainly no creature Tucker had ever seen. It curved like a fang, but the end was serrated and barbed. I'm guessing that's not a shark's. Never seen one, Forrest admitted. But I'm pretty sure there are no land sharks. You're saying that's a demon of some sorts, too. I'm saying whatever killed said didn't start with him, Forrest clarified. Found this by another dead trapper four months ago. I knew it was just a matter of time before the owner struck again. Tucker stared at the razor-sharp instrument of death, questioning reality. It still could be a beast, right? Doesn't necessarily mean something demonic. Forrest got up. He chuckled as he walked over to a cabinet. Doesn't matter if it's a dragon or Satan himself. He opened the cabinet and Tucker whistled. Inside were all manner of weapons. Something akin to an elephant gun filled the majority of the space, but there were also ancient swords, bone knives, and dynamite. Forrest grabbed the big one, black powder rifle with the largest bore he'd ever seen, and rested it on a shoulder. The short man looked ten feet tall with the armament. It's gotta be put down. The two peace officers raced back to the Davidovich cabin and looked for a trail. Tucker tried his best to overcome his naivete in front of the very experienced force. But if anything the man said was true, then his assignment was going to be a lot worse than imagined. Tucker found a track in the dirt, a single trench that weaved back and forth. Looks as if something dragged the girl away from here. Forrest approached and spit on the ground near the track. Nah, there'd be a second set of tracks beside this one. Looks like a snake to me. Tucker thought that'd have to be one big snake. Over here, I believe I caught the girl's trail. She's running as if the heavenly host pursued her. Tucker thought that an odd turn of phrase, but bent down to look. Well, that's some good eyes you got there, he admitted. Forrest waved it off. You probably trained out east. Arizona dirt is different. It messes with the eyes. You'll grow accustomed to it. She's heading into the foothills, looking for higher elevation. 
as they pursued the girl and monster Forrest Phil Tucker in on the area's history. The Verde Valley earned its title from the Spanish for its unexpected lushness, a product of the surrounding mountain range. On the other hand, the town of Drowned Horse received its ominous name due to the flash floods that brought carcasses, mostly horses, down into the valley from Flagstaff. As for the curse, well, lots of people have ideas on that. Near as I can tell, it started when these two brothers killed each other in a Cain and Abel-like disagreement. So why would you stay in a cursed town? Seems like there's gotta be other places in need of a sheriff. Forrest said nothing for a couple of minutes, and Tucker wondered if he was going to ignore the question. Someone's gotta do it, Forrest finally confessed. Don't have any kin? I'm the one willing to stick it out. That's noble, but also a bit suicidal, don't you think? Nah, well, maybe. Takes crazy to fight crazy, I guess. The sheriff left it there, but Tucker, even having only met the man two days ago, knew there had to be more. The man had unexpected levels, like everything Tucker had encountered so far in the new territory. I hope I can find some of that crazy, he thought, if this area is going to be my responsibility from here on out. Forrest gave his horse only subtle encouragement as they moved into the tree line. Tucker marveled at the sheriff and Steed's relationship. The mounts seemed to understand Forrest's direction without any use of reins. Most of the rest of Arizona is pretty normal compared to Drowned Horse. Cowboys coming up from Mexico looking for a fight. Occasionally the Reds will overstep their boundaries. If you just remember that everyone was here before you, and you don't try to change them too much, people will take to you. With his tip of his hat, Tucker thanked Forrest for his advice. It didn't take long for the pair to pick up the girl's trail. She followed an old logging path that only trappers used anymore. Every so often, they spotted crimson on leaves. She's trying to clean off the blood, Forrest suggested. Or bleeding herself, Tucker added. The thing, whatever it is, might have injured her. Forrest didn't act concerned, but he did dismount and squat near the tracks. What? Did you get a good look at that cabin? Tucker shuddered. He'd gotten a better look than he'd care to remember. Hard to see anything with all that blood. It wasn't the amount of blood so much as to where it was. Think back. He did, tracing the patterns of blood throughout the cabin in his mind. Cedric had his pants off when the demon attacked. They were on the floor. Yep. Still had his shirt on to hold in his gut, though. The marshal scratched at a bug bite behind his ear. Okay, what's that mean? Means he was about to consummate his marriage. So you think the monster was trying to stop that? Yep. So it's a monster with good intentions? Nope. Enough damn riddles. Tell me what's going on, Sheriff. Forrest raised an assessing eyebrow. You're not going to survive out here if you don't start putting two and two together and finding five. Tucker played and replayed the grisly scene through his mind. The blood, it sprayed away from the bed, the sheriff nodded. If that was what was left to set on the wall, then he must have been blown back from the bed, Tucker thought, as if he'd been attacked by something below him. Oh, shit. Forrest stood over one of the footprints. He circled it with a finger. Did you notice our little girl's footprints have grown in size? Tucker leaned over the side of his horse. 
The shape of the foot hadn't changed. It still looked delicate and feminine, just larger, like an adult's. Tugger snapped. When did you know? I didn't. Well, not for sure. By his expression, Tucker told Forrest he wasn't buying that. Sheepishly, Forrest confessed. Okay, maybe I send a letter with a drawing of that tooth to an English professor at some fancy college after the first murder. I said I was writing a book. Asked him what type of single men praying monsters might have a tooth like that. Tucker didn't want to ask, but he did. And? Lamia. The hell is that? It's a vengeful demon from Greek mythology. Eight children for breakfast, sometimes young men for dinner. Legends say her children were taken from her and she went mad. She can change shape and that's pretty much all the professor knew. A little girl, a beautiful woman, whatever she needs to lure men in. Well, that's a hell of a notion you got there, Sheriff. That wouldn't account for her eating trappers. Maybe she goes after men that have, or would have, harmed a child. Forrest shrugged. Beats me. It's a monster making a mess in my territory, and I want it gone. He then flawlessly propelled himself up into the saddle. He started forward, but Tucker didn't. Incredulously, the marshal stared at Forrest's back. Sheriff, finally noticing Tucker wasn't behind him, brought his mount around. When were you going to tell me this? You came to me for help, after all. Is that how you hunt down Greek myths, find the newest idiot, and use them for bait? Tucker's words came out as angry bullets, but Forrest dodged them with another shrug. Wasn't sure what I hunted when I came for you. You can't be sure of anything, he said, returning to his pursuit, save that you can't be sure of anything. Farther along, the tracks grew closer together, indicating the thing had slowed down. Rumor says Gulliford O'Malley, the first dead trapper, had a lady with him the night of his dismemberment. I found a shovel near his body. The two's probably one of hers. O'Malley must have knocked it out before she'd done him in. Could explain the mess. How'd your professor suggest killing it? Just like a snake. Chop or blow the head clean off. That's it? Tucker didn't think it could be that easy. Most of these things bleed like normal folk. Biggest problem we've had so far is ghosts. They're hard to put down. Tucker opened his mouth to ask a question, and then thought better of it. Ignorance was bliss after all. Forrest gave Tucker a shush sign when voices wafted through the trees. Male speaker. Oh, you poor thing. How'd you get stuck in my trap? I'm such an idiot, a distressed female responded. My husband, he is after me. I, I just couldn't take his temper anymore, and I ran. There, there, a pretty young thing like yourself shouldn't be treated that way. A noise like the wrenching open of a trap sounded. The woman made a sharp yelp. Okay, got it off. Let's get you back to my shelter as to clean that wound. The lawman dismounted. Forced pulling his enormous elephant gun from its saddle holster. Tucker rechecked his rifle, even though he remembered loading it earlier. They moved forward as a pair. Two shapes resolved into that of an old man standing above a beautiful, voluptuous woman. Still Apache, her hair extended down to the small of her back. A red circle blistered just above the ankle of her left leg. 
that Grizzle Trapper assisted her as they hobbled through the forest. He hadn't noticed the stains on her clothes. Damn, Forrest whispered. That's Isaiah. He and I don't get along so well. Why, Tucker whispered back. I caught him trading skunk meat to the Yavapai as rabbit. Doubt he's gonna believe me about the girl being a Greek monster. Well, maybe you should stay back then. Let me try and get them separated. Since Forrest didn't offer any other options, Tucker guessed that meant for him to go ahead. Checking his rifle for a third time, he set off to save the old trapper's life. Levi Forrest couldn't decide if the new marshal was brave, stupid, or both. Just because Forrest's only weapon was the gun didn't mean he didn't have a plan. Rushing into things got people killed. Forrest knew that all too well. Who said they didn't want to be bait, he thought. The sheriff hadn't told Tucker the whole truth about Drowned Horse. He'd shoveled enough fantastic details into the unprepared Tucker's mind already. Any more and the poor boy might explode. Forrest spent years tracking such anomalies down and seeing to their demise. He always had a plan. Always. Save for the first time. The time that made him an orphan. The sheriff sighed and set off to save both the old trappers and the new marshal's lives. After getting close enough, Tucker made his presence known. Marshal's office? Isaiah, I need you to step away from the lady. The Lamia's face flashed irritation for just a moment, then faked abject terror. No, no, that's my husband. Don't let him take me back. He's done terrible things to me. Horrible things. The trapper let the girl slide off his arm to the ground, but during the motion, Isaiah drew down on Tucker. I'm sorry, but this little lady's my concern now. Tucker didn't have time to get his rifle fully positioned before the wizened old timer had him dead to rights. Now drop that there gun nice and slow, Marshal. Tucker obliged. You don't know what you're getting mixed up with, old man. That lady's wanted for murdering two other trappers. Ha! This little thing? No way in hell! With Isaiah's attention firmly on him, Tucker figured he might be able to work the situation to his favor. I'm being serious. She killed them in their sleep, stole all their possessions. The trapper raised an eyebrow. Who? Cedric Devadovich. Seds did? Yes, sir. And O'Malley. Isaiah's gun slackened. I'd heard about Gully. Oh, I thought that was a bear. We're keeping it hush-hush. Big investigation. Look at her dress. But the girl was no longer there. Not at least in the form of a girl. The world went white around the edges of Tucker's eyes. They must have been as big as pie plates when the monster transformed. Truth be told, he hadn't really believed anything Forrest had told him until that exact moment. The top half of the creature displayed the naked torso of the same beautiful woman he had seen just moments before. Tucker couldn't help but notice she had kept the enormous breasts, likely to do exactly what they did, distract from the rest of her. Below, she'd become a snake, bigger than pictures Tucker had seen of pythons or boa constrictors. A demonic hiss caused Isaiah to turn around. The Lamia swayed hypnotically, mesmerizing the trapper. Towering over him, her mouth opened to reveal one long, barbed fang, parallel with a gap where a second fang should have resided. As she lunged, 
Isaiah screamed, holding his hands to his face. Without preamble, Forrest burst through the trees, riding fast and grabbing the back of the mountain man's jacket, dragging him out of harm's way. The snake demon's face planted into the ground as Forrest, trapper, and horse disappeared back into the trees. The creature righted itself, spitting dirt and twigs from its mouth. A bisected tongue flicked out from thin lips. Tucker dove to the right, grabbing his gun as he rolled. He placed two good shots where he thought the heart should be. Both bullets hit home, but they appeared to only annoy the monster. Scanning for Forrest but not seeing him, Tucker ran. He didn't need to be Ulysses to know the creature slithered after him. If he could make it to his horse, he might get out of the woods alive. Forrest! Forrest! He yelled between breaths. Any time now! The sheriff sat on his horse, slyly grinning. Isaiah had scurried off, leaving Forrest to decide what to do next. Both the Lamia and the Marshal were pathetic. He'd warned Tucker what it would take to kill the beast, but the damn fool wanted to be a hero, and Tucker had called him suicidal. And then there was the Lamia. One tooth. If Lamia ran in packs, that one would have been culled moons ago. Well, Forrest decided, time to do just that. He lined up his horse with Tucker's trajectory, supernatural predator close behind. Forrest let go of the reins and stood up in the stirrups. Signaling his horse, it galloped towards the pair. Despite being born to a family of trick riders from a traveling show, Forrest hadn't tried this stunt with a rhino gun before, and probably wouldn't again. He interceded between Marshall and Monster just as Tucker caught a root around his foot and fell to the ground. The Lamia reared up to strike. Forrest ignited the gun's powder with a snap of the trigger. It went off point-blank in the Lamia's face. Blood geysered from its neck stump. The body fell to the ground after coating everything in a 20-foot circumference. There was a cost, though. Forrest flew sideways off his horse, crashing through two thick pine branches before finally dropping to the forest floor. His hat landed beside him, no worse for wear. The sheriff couldn't say the same. Air knocked from his lungs, he struggled several times to find his breath. Catching it just moments before passing out, he sucked in the cool breeze until he began to laugh. Tucker pushed himself up from the ground, looking around until he spotted Forrest. He stared squarely into the sheriff's twinkling eyes. What's so damn funny? Tucker asked. Forrest tipped his hat. Welcome to Arizona, Tuck. Hell of a place, huh? Mr. Boop is a single dad, part-time temp worker, and believer. You may discover more about him at davidboop.com, on Twitter at david underscore boop, or in the Book of Faces at dboop.updates. Well... I suppose I must come to terms with the harsh reality that my mummy is indeed quite ruined. Such a horrible shame. There is simply no saving a mouldy mummy. However, parts of her may still be salvageable. 
Utterly has that story given me some thoughts on how to remake what is left of our pharaoh into a new exhibit. It has also, sadly, reminded me of my late wife. Venomous woman. And I mean that most literally. That, however, that is indeed a tale for another evening. And a much larger glass of whiskey. Before we close, I would remind you that we are open for submissions now until October 31st of this year, which, for those listening in the future, is the year 2017. Note that we are only taking works of 7,500 words or less, and that is quite firm. I count every word. Well, actually, I get Kevin to count every word, but he's exceedingly thorough, so consider yourselves warned. Full information is to be had on our homepage, gallerycurious.com slash submissions. October will soon be here. It is my favorite month. If you're listening to a program such as this, I'm sure it is yours also. I have much work to prepare. Do come visit us next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. If you like the show, tell your friends and leave us stars and reviews on iTunes. It warms me to the bottom of my shriveled black heart when you do. This evening's story music was by StockMusic.com and Kevin McLeod. Our theme music is Ashes, Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. My chorus is Walking Along by Kevin McLeod. This episode was released in September of 2017. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com. She murdered me with science.